I have had a few what I consider epiphanies behind the wheel. That's my dad, Kevin Tucker. He's a truck driver, and he spent a lot of his life on the road. It was winter, and it was dusk, and the water was all to my left because I was on my way in. Just a few lights across the water, amber lights at a cabin or a home. That's all you could see, and the dusk and overcast sky and some snowflakes, snowflakes falling and just feeling a sense of God's presence and nearness in those moments, in those few miles. I'm Kate Tucker, and this is Hope Is My Middle Name, a podcast from Consensus Digital Media. I grew up seeing the country the way my dad just described it, from the windshield of a semi, riding shotgun with my grandparents, my uncles, and my dad. I saw America as a network of beautiful, mysterious, wide-open roads, roads that could take you anywhere. I think that's why I became a musician. I didn't want to stay in one place for too long. I wanted interstate epiphanies and roadside revelations. Life on the road can be lonely, especially for truckers who often go unseen. We don't always think about how pretty much everything we own was once brought to us via ship, train, and big rig. So today, we're going to talk with two truckers who are delivering hope in the midst of loneliness, isolation, invisibility, and bad, bad weather. In fact, it was bad weather that introduced me to Shelley Conaway, a flatbed trucker out of Lexington, Kentucky, who started an entire emergency response network of do-good truckers. Trucks with Room to Spare delivers life-giving supplies in the aftermath of hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, and forest fires. No disaster is too big or too far away. And I guess you could say the pandemic has been one giant ongoing disaster. And pretty much against all odds, truckers keep on trucking, delivering crucial supplies, food, medicine, even during lockdown. We're all thinking about the supply chain these days, so I thought it might be a good time to get back in the truck, just like I used to, sitting shotgun in my dad's tractor trailer. I am Kevin Tucker, and I'm talking with you about trucking, which is the subject of the day. And why are you talking to me? Because you are my beloved firstborn. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Could you describe where we are? We are on a little lane that has uh, railroad ties on one side, covered with moss, split down the middle. To our right on this little lane is a fallen tree that has been wisely used to also frame that side of the lane. And the lane itself is enshrouded by beautiful tree leaves so that the 
lane is also moss covered. So everything has just got this beautiful sense of hiddenness and all these trees are tall and wispy and I hope you can hear the wind and the breeze because it is absolutely beautiful. But it actually doesn't feel unlike when you would be sitting in the truck and I would be in the passenger seat. You could still be driving because you're on my left and we're on yeah, <laughs> what looks like a moss-covered road. That's, true. that's right. <laughs> Let's go get the truck and just make it all come back together. My dad... Always up for anything and born to be a trucker. At the age of six, his dad got his own big rig. I was in heaven every time I was in that truck. I would go out and sit in that truck in the driveway and imagine running down the highway with dad and going on great trucking adventures together. Dad let me pull the air horn now and again and I would push on the brakes because you could hear the air release from the air brakes and I just was crazy about the fact that he was a truck driver. He took Uncle Dave and I on a trip for David's 12th birthday. We went to Chicago and picked up a load. And uh, we got a flat on the way back and I was so excited because that meant we had to stay in the truck longer. (laughs) Grandpa was like, Kevin! <laughs> it's not a good thing that we have a flat. Oh, Dad, but we get to be in the truck longer. What do you remember about the first time you actually drove a tractor trailer? Dad actually took out a second mortgage on the Pontius Road farmhouse with its 18 acres and the barn, he took out a second mortgage to buy me a tractor trailer. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's very touching. <laughs> very touching to me that uh, it mattered that much to him to help me uh, achieve that dream. So the first time he borrowed Uncle Darrell's flatbed, And we took my tractor, which was a 73 Brockway, and we went, I believe it was to Syracuse, New York, and we picked up a load of steel to bring back to the Akron, Cleveland area. I didn't know how to double clutch. (laughs) I was grinding the gears. I started to make a left turn like I was in my pickup truck. (laughs) And Grandpa said, Kevin, (laughs) did you forget you have a trailer behind you? (laughs) You're going to run right over her hood. (laughs) (laughs) So we we avoided her hood through some manner of tractor-trailer subterfuge. (laughs) But um, Grandpa and Grandma took you when you were three or four after they'd been at it enough together as a couple to feel comfortable doing it. It was a lumber run in the South. So my first time leaving home was in a semi? Probably. (laughs) What a great thing. Grandpa and Grandma were both 
drivers from their early teen years. You know, grandpa had taught grandma how to speed shift his car. She beat her former boyfriend with grandpa's car in a drag race out on 224 (laughs) by the Goodyear Blimp Air Dock. Both outstanding drivers, and uh, we didn't worry a bit. We knew it'd be a great adventure for all three of you. My grandma Lois has been known to say, when I married Ed Tucker, I married adventure. And boy, did they have the stories to back that up. If my grandpa were still here, I'd definitely be interviewing him about the time he and Lois made a wrong turn in San Francisco and ended up hauling 80,000 pounds of steel straight up one of those iconically steep streets. My grandma said that was the day her hair turned white. He had to lay on the horn and just keep creeping through the intersections because to have stopped, he would never have gotten the truck to go again because of the pitch. It could have been disastrous. Or maybe he would talk about their near treacherous ascent through the Cascade Mountains on I-90 in the middle of a blinding snowstorm. It was their first time in the Pacific Northwest. They had never heard of putting chains on their tires. A good Samaritan in a beat-up old pickup truck appeared out of nowhere and saved their lives. And they followed Grandpa and Grandma then until they were over the next couple mountains that were getting the snow and ice. And they did this in a pickup truck all the time just to help truckers on those mountains. A few times in the last few years my grandpa was alive, I pressed record on my iPhone. We've lived a quite a different type of life than most people have, and do not regret one minute of it. We were whatever we decided to do, we did it. Whatever they decided to do, they did do it. And that might just be the trucker way. If something needs to get from here to there, they're going to find a way to make it happen. It's almost like the road opens before them, and they're just daring enough to follow it. That's how Shelley Conaway ended up starting a nationwide network of truckers dedicated to helping people when natural disasters strike. Her nonprofit is called Trucks with Room to Spare, and it all began in 2018 when Hurricane Michael struck the Florida panhandle. Here's Shelley. I happened to be in Houston, and I had a load going into South Florida, and my load only took up about 20 feet of deck space, and my trailer is 48 feet long. I couldn't go through because I had to wait for the storm to pass, so I'm sitting there, I'm on Facebook, like everybody else watching it happen, and you see all the people talking about that they needed help. These people still need food and they need clothing and they need blankets and and so I was like well you know I'll, I'll get what I can so I set up with one of the ladies that was online that was on my route I would come through as soon as the road was cleared and I would meet her so I stopped at like seven truck stops between where I was and before I got to Florida She met me on the edge of the road on an off-ramp, and I handed off the supplies that I had on the truck. I had the space. I may as well have used it for good. So we try to utilize the empty space, 
and we utilize volunteers that'll donate their whole trailer to transport supplies in for small nonprofits, churches, and community groups that can't afford transportation. I love it. So when you first picked up those water bottles, did you have any idea that this would be the result? Actually, no. I just created a Facebook group. You know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe other drivers would like to do this too. And after Hurricane Michael and the big outpouring of need and support, I was approached to form the nonprofit and the rest of it were here. In another conversation, Shelley said something that stuck with me. I think about it when it takes my dad a little too long to call me back, or when I see a trucker waylaid on the side of the interstate with smoke coming out of his engine. Shelley said, we're only one breakdown away from losing it all. She told me that that's what makes truckers good at responding when disaster strikes. They're used to high stakes and close calls. You're going into an area there's no road sign. You you think you're on a road that you can be on and there's trees across the road. There's low power lines. There's high water. It's, uh, it's sometimes it's just a challenge in itself to get into the area, to get to the people that, that need the stuff. What type of supplies do you deliver? Anything you think that a family would need to rebuild their lives, we transported it. Prior to delivering that load down to Florida, had you ever been in a natural disaster yourself? Yes. Yes. I've been through hurricanes, tornadoes, so I understand where they're coming from. And, you know, people say, well, why don't they just move? Why do they keep putting up with it? Why would you want somebody to leave their home, you know? That's a really beautiful perspective and I think helpful for people who have not experienced that firsthand. I'm curious what maybe one of your most rewarding moments has been in this work. I would have to say the hugs. Hmm. For a truck driver, we don't get that connection when we make a delivery to the grocery store. During the day, most of the time, we get told off or people cut us off because we're slow and we're bulky. And for us to pull in someplace and the people are happy to see you and they hug you and you know that you're making a difference in these people's lives and they appreciate it is better than anything else. Wow. So what made you decide to become a trucker? Oh, goodness. Um, Well, my father was a driver. My uncles were all truck drivers. I have a degree in human resource management. But it was one of those, where else can I work five days a week and make $2,000 a week? To a single mom, that was a big motivator to take care of my family. Were there surprises along the road for you at the beginning? 
Oh, well, I mean, there's always surprises for women in the trucking industry, especially back in the late 80s, early 90s when I started. Some people were happy to see you and then some people weren't. What's the community like out there and how did you find your people on the road? Well, you're out here on the highway and we talk on the CB and, you know, everybody gets to know everybody. You would make a a meetup. We'll meet up at this truck stop and have coffee on such and such day. And everybody showed up and they had their coffee and caught up on things. And then we went our separate ways until next week. It's a lot of talking to each other. And that's a good thing because it can get lonely out here. You know, you're in a, a truck all day long. So your CB and the people at the truck stops were your friends. Do you still have a CB radio? Of course I do. <laughs> do you have a handle? Yes, I do. <laughs> do you tell people what it is or is that just between the truckers? <laughs> I go by Possum. I had a guy gave it to me. He said because I was cute and I would probably bite when I was mad. So, <laughs> you know, we tell people our handles and stuff. It's fun. Oh, it's so fun. So you still use the CB to communicate, and are you still meeting up for coffee at truck stops? Well, a lot of that has died over the years. As the industries progress, the newer generation doesn't do some of the things that we did back in the old days. With the enactment of the electronic logging devices, people really don't have time to stop and, and have coffee anymore. We're, we're racing the clock. Can you tell me, kind of paint the picture of what life on the road on a good day is like? Oh, goodness. No traffic. <laughs> uh, it's always nice every once in a while to get a load out west because seeing America is the best part of this job. Seeing the countryside. Driving over the Grand Canyon, I got to drive across the Hoover Dam years ago, you know, going by the salt flats. It's it's experiencing everything that America has to offer is what makes it perfect. That's beautiful. It's the way I first saw the country. And and I do think you have, a, you know, a much better view up there. <laughs> the majority of us. (laughs) No, a lot of people don't get the chance. I Um, took my kids, we experienced 4th of July one year in Colorado, in Denver. I took them to Kerr Stadium. We were laid out, laid over over there. And we got to experience the fireworks in Denver. And they had a good time. It's, It's good for kids to get out and see things. What do you think we need to do to make sure trucking remains a viable industry for our kids and their kids. Our roads and bridges are in very, very bad shape. And the more trucks that there are on the road, you know, yes, we cause a congestion. There's a lot of us, but if we wasn't here, you remember what it was like during the pandemic? It would be that on a massive scale. Yeah. We need more truck drivers making rules for truck drivers. 
That makes sense to me. Shelly, you literally deliver hope to people when they need it most. What is giving you hope these days? I just believe that that's what we're supposed to do. I was always told that you get what you give in return, that what you do comes back to you. And I've always lived by that. It's how I teach my kids to live and my grandkids. We all have to take care of each other. We got away from that. That's how it used to be, you know, back in when I was little. Communities come together. The country come together. I can't change America, but if I can make a difference one load at a time, then I will. Mm. And you will. And you are. Oh, it's... uh, It's fun doing what I do, and it's fun meeting the people and helping the people. Thinking of Shelly out there delivering hope got me thinking about my own life on the road, especially the smaller solo tours where strangers became friends. Getting lost was just another way to find what you were looking for. And being alone didn't have to be scary, even at night when all you had were two headlights and half a tank of gas. It was my dad who taught me to see the adventure in a good, long, lonely drive. I thought a lot about you when I was on my solo tour, this last solo tour for Practical Sadness. It was the first time I had driven across the country completely alone. And I was in many different areas at times where the roads were almost treacherous, just beautiful deserts or mountain roads, whether it's up in Wyoming or Montana or down through Arizona, Utah. And I never felt afraid. I was just wary at times, but I never felt afraid because I thought, I'm the descendant of a trucker. The road is in my blood, and I know how to follow this road and follow the curves and to respect it and appreciate it and stand in awe of the beauty and the splendor. There's something so special about getting to take in these sweeping vistas and to be moving through them. I think you were aware of how much this trucker father of yours was feeling very wary and very concerned that his daughter was out there driving around in all those deserted places by herself and yet holding her up before the Lord for his protection and guidance. 32 instances in the Bible that the word highway pops up. Wow. How about that? That's one. It says 32. Another one says 30. So we've got at least, you know, a highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. Fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go upon it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. Wow. Wow. Interesting. How long have you been doing this? 29 and a half years. 29 and a half years in a truck. How many miles do you think that's been? 
I don't know. What about the people along those routes? Have you gotten to know any of them? Oh, many. I've got customers I know on a first-name basis in a lot of places, and I know little bits and pieces about families and the personal histories of a lot of those customers. Got a lot of phone numbers from those customers. (laughs) I am calling two to three customers every day and saying I'm running behind because of how late the freight comes in now. We're having some issues with staffing. It seems like everybody is. And freight's moving more slowly. There's less of it. So I have to get just about everything coming to go out into the area in order to have a decent load. And I'm usually the one that gets the calls, probably because I'm the middle guy and also a firstborn caretaker. I was going to say, I think you have something to do with the fact that you get a lot of those calls. You're an excellent connector. Everybody loves you and they want, they want to talk with you. And I know a lot of people who have become friends of yours or are eager to tell me that they're your friend <laughs> because you deliver goods to them. So, uh, <laughs> including my records... And my CDs. (laughs) My dad is like my best Midwest distributor. Um, So are you going to retire anytime soon? (laughs) That's yet to be determined. I would like to. When you retire, do you think you'll miss being out on the road? I will always miss being able to go through those little towns and watch that trailer follow me in the mirror. Yes, I will miss that. I remember as a kid, I loved the time I got to be out on the road with you. But even so, it still felt lonely. I remember missing you guys very much. I did not like being away for four or five days at a time. I hated it. (laughs) One night, I'm going north in Indiana on a probably a federal route. I don't think it was an interstate. And full moon on my left, beautiful, gorgeous night. And I'm in tears running up this highway, missing all of you. I mean, we spend so many hours in solitude in this big vehicle and there's a lot of beauty out there. I actually rode a little ditty one time um, when I used to truck that second year with Spectre Freight. You know my favorite places, Lord. The quiet back roads, the little towns without a sound where all the soft lights glow meaning traffic lights and street lights, etc. And then I said, uh, but even so, home is where my heart longs to be, home with my family. <laughs> I think you ever knew that song. I still sing it now and again. I don't think I want to sing it right now, though. <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't know you were a songwriter. <laughs> I wrote that coming out of that terminal in Bath because it was a nice little sequence of traffic lights and streets and turns before you got to the bigger roads. And I had been in a lot of small towns in the middle of the night. I love when they're quiet and I'm watching that trailer follow me through an intersection and hearing the click click of the traffic lights, etc. That's how that all came to me so easily, those words. My dad and I sat on that little lane together, talking until the sun disappeared behind the trees. And in the days after that, I thought a lot about our conversation and what a big part of our lives, our childhoods, trucking has been for both of us. How much we both love the road and we love a good driving song, which led me to remember that he owed me a melody. So I called him up and asked him to sing me that little ditty he composed in his cab. You know my favorite places, Lord, the quiet back roads, the little towns without a sound where all the soft lights glow, even so. On to home. Where my heart longs to be Home With my family Home Where my heart longs to be Home With my family God bless you all my dad, Kevin Tucker, and to Shelly Conaway, the founder of Trucks with Room to Spare, for taking us out on the road and reminding us how good it feels to come home again. Oh yeah, and dad, thanks for bringing me back this guitar, because it pretty much changed my life. Hope is My Middle Name is hosted by me, Kate Tucker. This episode was produced by Rachel Swavey with editing from Elise Hugh and Audrey No. Our sound engineer is Mark Bush. Music by my dad, Kevin Tucker, the fantastic artists at Epidemic Sound, and me. Big thanks to Connor Gaughan, our publisher and fearless leader at Consensus Digital Media. Hope is My Middle Name is more than a podcast. It's a community, and we'd love to know where you're finding hope these days. You can message me on Instagram at Kate Tucker Music and post your stories with the hashtag Reasons to Hope. Hope is My Middle Name can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. 
It would mean so much to us if you would follow, rate, and leave us a review. Hope is My Middle Name is a podcast by Consensus Digital Media, produced in association with Reasonable Volume. See you next time.